So last week we studied chapter 6 of Genesis, and this week we will take a look at chapter 7. So please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. But before we do jump on into chapter 7, I just wanted to spend about five minutes or so giving you something to think about in regards to Noah's Ark, since we began to touch on that topic last week. And just talk about what Noah's Ark symbolizes for you and me today. Because, you see, in a sense, we can find many similarities between what, Noah, what the Ark of Noah's represented and what Jesus represents today in our lives. You see, the Ark was given to Noah by God as a provision to save the life of him and his family, right? And of course, Jesus Christ was provided by God to give us the opportunity to receive salvation and spend eternity safely with God. If you remember, we talked last week about how the ark was covered with pitch. And I explained to you how that pitch was a a resin uh, substance, you know, like a tar type substance that when it was heated up, it would liquefy. And when it was cold, it would harden. And God told Noah to spread this all over the boat inside and out. And I also shared with you just an interesting fact that John D. Rockefeller read that scripture and that gave them the idea that there must be oil in the Middle East because that's that pitch is what comes out of the ground. And John D. Rockefeller read that and they began to look for oil over in that area. But that pitch that God had Noah spread all over the boat inside and out was something that allowed for the ark to be sealed so that rainwater would not come in and destroy it. It also helped to preserve the ark. Now, the root word for the word pitch is uh, translated elsewhere in the Bible as atonement or covering. Okay? And that's what the pitch was in a, in a physical sense. It covered the boat. But that's what that word means in the Hebrew. It's an atonement or a covering. So it means to, to also means to make reconciliation. And of course, we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, that God has reconciled to him, to us to himself, it says, through Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has made an atonement for our sin. It has covered our sin and we have been forgiven. Okay, so the pitch that Noah used to seal and covered all the spaces between the planks of wood and the blood of Christ today covers our sins and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? Now, something else we learned from the ark is that it only had one door. There were not multiple ways for people to be saved to enter the ark. Mankind didn't have choices for ways to get to God. There wasn't this way and that way or whatever. Salvation came through one way, through one door only, right? And Jesus today, we know, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him, He says. Everyone who comes to Christ will be saved. They must decide to turn from their sin, to turn from the ways of the world. And all who entered the ark, which happened to just be Noah and his family, but they were all saved from the judgment that was to come. 
Jesus said in, in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, he says, I will by no means cast out. And you know, once the door to that ark was shut, no one else could enter in it, okay? But as long as the door was open, anyone could have entered into that boat and have been saved from the coming judgment, from the flood, right? And as you've heard me mention many times, today we live in a day of grace, right? Salvation is open for everyone to come and to enter in. Whosoever will can come, the Bible says. So the invitation goes out to everyone in the world. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. In other words, his return, right? He's not slack as some count slackness, it says, but he is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Again, it was just Noah and his family that got on board the boat. But the truth is, is that everyone in the ark was saved from the coming flood. And outside, everyone outside of the ark perished as a result of the flood. And when Jesus returns, there will be a separation at that point between the saved and the unsaved, the saved and the lost. See, these are the last days and sooner or later, whether by the return of the Lord or upon our deaths, right, we will all be face to face with our Lord God. And there is one more judgment coming upon this world, and it will be the final judgment at that point. And we've studied that when we went through the book of Revelation. And what we see with Noah's Ark, though, it had many similarities with Jesus Christ and had many similarities with the opportunity for salvation today. That Jesus is the one and the only way in which someone can escape the coming judgment. There's not multiple doors to the ark. There's not multiple ways to salvation. It's not this religion and that religion and that religion and that religion. It's one way and one way alone, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. So I wanted to point out some of those things before we move on into chapter 7. And quite frankly, you'll see we're not going to get very far in chapter 7 today. We're going to let's look at one verse in chapter 7. And then we're going to go off on another topic here that pertains to this verse 1, though. And verse 1 of chapter 7 of Genesis says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So what we see here is, first of all, that God does indeed take notice to righteous living. Right? We're told in Peter that, that um, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. and He was a man that lived in a righteous way as well, as, as we're told here in verse 1. Right? So how important then is living in righteousness? Well, of course, it's of utmost importance. And this is what got Noah into the ark along with his family. So what I wanted to do this morning is I want to take some time to look at this top topic of righteousness from a scriptural standpoint. 
want to talk about righteousness. I have compiled and handed out to you there a partial list. It's just a partial list of the New Testament scriptures that contain the word righteousness. All in all, the word righteousness appears 93 times in the New Testament alone. And a total of 311 times in the entire Bible, we see the word righteousness. But what I'm going to do with you here this morning is go over about 20 of those scriptures from the New Testament. And you don't need to turn to them in your Bibles today as I'm going to just read them as you have them printed there in front of you. And I will comment on them as we go along. But again, I I want to touch on this topic of righteousness because we're talking about salvation. First of all, how Noah was saved. Right? He was saved from the coming judgment, the flood that was to come. And God looked and saw that he was righteous and righteous in the way that he lived in his generation. So that brought up to my mind as I was studying, how important then is righteousness? Let's take a look at that, right? The first scripture that you see on your list there is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, where Jesus says, Blessed or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So Jesus here tells us that we are blessed, or that word blessed means, oh, how happy we are when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he promises us that we will be filled. Righteousness is something that the, that the Lord God wants us to seek after. The next scripture on your list is Matthew 6.33 where Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So Jesus is here giving us what the number one priority of our lives should be, right? You often hear me talk about how we are spiritual beings, and we often forget that as we go through life. It's easy to forget that because everything about our lives are what we can see, taste, touch, smell, our, our five senses, right? Who we are physically, our body, what we look like, all of that kind of stuff. But we often forget who we are spiritually. But that is the things that our Lord God looks at. And that is the things that the Word of God points us to, who we are spiritually. And the number one priority in our lives should be seeking after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You know, the big thing in recent years is for people to make a bucket list, right? But if we profess to be followers of Christ, then righteousness should be at the top of everyone's list. Right? We should be thinking about those type of things in our lives. And then the next verse on your list there is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 74 and 75, where it says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So the word of God tells us here that we have been delivered by Jesus Christ and we are to then serve him in holiness and in righteousness all the days of our lives. That's what he desires of us. Again, keep in mind here that we are taking a look at the importance of living in righteousness, okay? Next on your list there, you see Acts chapter 10, verse 35, which says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness 
is accepted by him. So Noah in the Old Testament was accepted because of his righteous living. And here in the New Testament, we also see that it is God's will that we fear him or reverence him is what that word means. And that we do righteous works as well. We do right things, right? You see, I am indeed pointing out all of this to you for a reason. Because, you see, there's been a false teaching that has, you know, grown big in Christianity. And it's, the doctrine of grace is obviously not a false teaching, but the way they have applied grace, right, over the past several years, it teaches that it doesn't really matter how you live because you are saved by grace and you can't lose that salvation no matter how you live. That's a doctrine that's very prevalent in the church today. Just live however you want to live, right? But this teaching is not found, though, in the pages of Scripture, but rather is simply nothing more than doctrines of men. Because the Bible does call us to live in a certain way, to live in righteousness, to live in holiness. And you'll see the next Scripture on your list there is found in Acts chapter 13 and verse 10, where the Apostle Paul was speaking to, at this point, he's speaking to a man named Elimus, who was trying to persuade people away from the faith. That's what this guy was doing, and that's where this scripture comes from. You can go and read it in, in its context if you want. But it says, but Paul said to this man, Elimus, he said, Oh, fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? You see, again, understand that the Lord wants us to live in a certain way, in a righteous way. But there is an enemy of righteousness, and that is Satan himself. And he loves to pervert the straight ways of the Lord. And the straight ways of the Lord are what we are to walk in as followers of Jesus Christ. When we surrender our lives to him and we give our lives to him, there is a way we are to walk, right? And there are teachings, though, and there are people, though, that love to pervert the straight way of the Lord. And the Lord gives us a straight and narrow path to walk on, right? Now, this is a point here on which people, many Christians, can be confused, right? But we are not righteous. This is important when we talk about righteousness, okay? We are not righteous in and of ourselves today. Noah lived a righteous life before God, and he was the only man on the face of the earth at that time that did, right? And God brought him onto the ark. That's the reason he and his family are saved. But we will see as we go along in Genesis that wickedness would once again prevail on the earth even after the flood. People would go back to living in unrighteous ways and forgetting about God, right? But you and me today cannot obtain righteousness by our own works, by the things we do. Let's turn. I will have you open your Bibles now and go to um, Romans chapter 3 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. Okay. 
So Romans chapter 3, and we'll start reading in verse 19. Romans 3, 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. So the Apostle Paul here is pointing out that the law, right, the do's and the don'ts of the law that God established with Moses, this makes everyone guilty. Why? Because we all fall short. Let's read on. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. For the law is the knowledge of sin. So we all understand this, right? The law says you shall not do this or that. When the law says this, it brings to our minds uh, the knowledge of sin. We can think about what it says and realize that we probably broke the law at least once or twice in our lives, right? All of us have broken rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. It's the natural thing of the nature of our sinful flesh, I should say, right? For example, the scripture says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, for example. Thou shalt not bear false witness. On and on it goes. And at one point in time, we've all done wrong in our lives. We all fall short. So we are not justified by the law, but rather convicted as sinners by the law. That was the purpose of the law, to point out that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Jews to whom Paul wrote here thought that they were justified by their law, right? And Paul is telling them that that's no longer the case. That's not the case anymore. Verse 21 continues and says, But now the righteousness, and that's our word for the day, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So the Apostle Paul in the Word of God here is pointing out to us today that we are made righteous not by the deeds that we do, but rather we are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. And this righteousness is offered to everyone. It is for all who believe, as it says there in verse 22, right? That righteousness we come to by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, all means all, right? Every person on the face of the earth has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So God himself did something about this. And verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So God, by His grace, not because we earned it and not because we deserved it, but simply by His grace alone, He gave us Jesus Christ. He gave Jesus Christ to mankind as a Redeemer. And we can come to Jesus Christ by faith to receive righteousness because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Verse 25, speaking of Jesus, says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation 
by his blood through faith. That word propitiation means a substitute, right? Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has or had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So God says, I'll forget all about your past sins if you'll just come to faith in Jesus Christ and turn your life over to him. Your past sins are gone. The the blood of Jesus Christ washes away our sins. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So do you see that? We have been justified by Jesus Christ, by his shed blood for our sin. Right? I like what others have said about this word justified. I didn't make this up, but the word justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. We've been justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's been washed away in the blood of Jesus when we come to faith in him. And why is this? It's all the result of the grace of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He wanted to redeem us. He wanted to bring us back into right relationship with him, right? But here's what we must now understand. Once you have come to the grace of God, you are then to live from that point on seeking after righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We should desire now to live differently. We've been redeemed. We've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. We've come to Christ. We now desire to move on in a different way. Look at the next verse on the list that I gave you there. If you're following along, it's, it's Romans 6, 13. I should have numbered them for you or something. But Romans six thirteen, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the way we use our body, right? The things that we do in this life, we are to do in righteousness. We are to seek to do right, to live in the right way, right? Look at the next verse there, verse 16 of the same chapter. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves, to obey. You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So you see what it's saying here? We're not to choose the way of sin anymore. We're not to be slaves to sin anymore. We're to be slaves to righteousness. We are to walk rather in obedience to the way that leads to righteousness. And what are we obedient to today? Are we supposed to be obedient to a religion, to a pastor, to a man's ways? No, we're to be obedient to the word of God and what the word of God tells us, right? And we are obedient to the faith that we have come to in Jesus Christ, the faith that has redeemed us from our sin. Look at verse 18, the next verse on your list there. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So again, 
We are now to be obedient to righteousness. We are to choose righteous living, no longer choosing the way of sin, right? Verse 19, Paul says, I speak, he says, I speak in human terms. Now, what human terms is Paul using here in these verses? He's using terms like slaves, for example. These are, these are words that are not spiritual terms, but are rather human terms. And Paul's saying, I speak in human terms because of your, the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Okay? So you see, we are to be diligent. We are, what does it mean to be diligent? It means to work hard at it, at living righteously, right? Was there a time when you went full force in the sinful activities of the world? Well, then in like manner, it's the word of God is telling us, go full force in a different way now. Go full force in righteousness and in holiness. The next verse on your list there, verse 20 of Romans 6 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But Romans 8.10 there says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So something takes place when we turn our lives over to Christ and our eyes become open to, to where we need to be and to how we should be walking. Something takes pl- place. Christ comes in us, Right? Having come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are then alive spiritually. And we are alive spiritually because of righteousness. Our own righteousness? No, His righteousness. We didn't deserve it, remember? We needed grace. We needed forgiveness. But Christ is in us. But now that Christ is in you, we should live differently. And we become slaves to righteousness and holiness. Now, I know we're digging deep onto this topic of righteousness, but it's of the utmost importance that we understand God's will for us today as it pertains to this topic. So let's continue on. If you look at Romans 10.10 there on the list, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in the first part of this verse, we see that with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. In other words, this is a key component as to how, one, as to how a person arrives at righteousness. It's when a person believes in their heart, deep within them, in their innermost being, they come to a place where they trust in Jesus Christ and they put their faith in Him, Right? Not in, they don't put their faith into what they're able to do, but they put their faith rather in what Jesus has done for them. Becoming righteous, though, takes faith. It is a belief that one has in their heart, again, in what Jesus has done. Okay? Then they confess this with their mouth. And the Bible says this brings us to salvation. So it's a change of the heart, and it's a confession of the mouth. And we say, I'm now walking in a different way. But then look at the next verse on our list, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. It says, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 
So when one believes in their heart, again, they arrive at righteousness because of Jesus Christ, and they confess it with their mouth, and the world around them knows that they are a believer in Jesus Christ. At this point, they, like it says there, awake, they awaken to righteousness, right? And at that point, they no longer desire to walk in the ways they used to walk. You see, righteousness is the opposite of sin. Sin is very simply choosing to do wrong. Righteousness is choosing to do what's right. Okay? Why do we choose to do right? Because we have come to the knowledge of God and Christ is in us. We realize that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. There's no righteousness in me, in and of my own flesh, in and of my own mind. There's no righteousness in me apart from Christ in me. But when Christ comes in me, I now desire to live in a different way, right? We repent and we begin walking in righteousness. Speaking of the Lord, Psalm 23 says, Psalm 23 verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See, Jesus is the good shepherd that leads us through this life, and He leads us in paths of righteousness. You see, when we choose paths of righteousness, first of all, we know that we're being led by the Lord. If you are choosing the way of sin, it's very simple that you're not being led by the Lord, right? But also when we choose paths of righteousness, we're doing so for His name's sake, that scripture says. And the Lord is the one that has gotten us to that point. He is the one that restores our soul. We have no ability to restore our own soul. Only He does that. He restores our soul. And then when He restores our soul, Psalm 23.3 says that He leads us in the paths of righteousness. Okay? So when someone has come to the Lord, they have awakened to righteousness. And then the next verse on the list here is 2 Corinthians 6.14, which says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? So you see, what happens here is our choices are affected in life. And we decide to walk in a different way again in righteousness. And we're careful as to who and to what we get too deeply involved in or become one with, right? The point here is that we are to go to great extents to seek after righteousness and avoid sin, right? Because the fact is that light has no communion with darkness, Right. I used to tell the youth that I that I taught for many years, you know, if you if you go into a cave, a pitch black cave and you light a match, the darkness all around that light runs. It disappears because the light overpowers the darkness and there's no fellowship. There's no communion between the two of them. Right. You, you can't have light in a dark room and have darkness. No darkness Anywhere, you can go to the deepest, darkest place in all the world, the deepest, darkest cave in the world. That darkness doesn't overpower light. You turn on a light, the darkness is gone. Darkness cannot overpower light, but light overpowers darkness. So what fellowship does light have with darkness? None, right? So we need to be careful as to how we live in this life and where we go and what we, who we hang around with and such, right? Because bad company 
as Corinthians says, does corrupt good morals. And who you hang around with and the choices you make will change things in your life. It'll change the course of your life. We are to be followers of the Lord with our eyes on Him, and He leads us in the paths of righteousness. Right? Today, in many ways, Christianity is allowing a little darkness in. Saying, oh, it's okay, we'll, we'll take that in, we'll, we'll accept this darkness, that darkness. But actually, there's no fellowship between light and darkness, according to the Scripture. And you see, when a person again comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a whole new life that has begun. And the next verse on, on our list there is in Ephesians chapter 4.24, which says, And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's an old man that's been done away with when you come to Christ, and there's a new man that needs to be put on, right? And this new man has been created anew by God, created in true righteousness and holiness. We've been reborn, recreated. Christ comes in us. Old things pass away. All things become new. We now walk in a different way. And the way that we're now to walk is in righteousness and holiness, Okay, and next we see there on the list, Ephesians 6, 14, that says, Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we are now to stand strong like a soldier, right? Like a soldier that has put on the full armor of God and righteousness is our breastplate. It is front and center in our lives, righteousness says. Philippians 3, 9 there reminds us uh, from the Apostle Paul who said, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So you see, again, there is a difference between self-righteousness and the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, we can't walk around acting like we're righteous, we're better than anyone else. That's not humility, because the fact is, is without Christ, we're nothing. Without Christ, we're equally as much a sinner as anyone in the whole world is, right? But it's Christ that makes the difference, and it's our faith in Him. We receive righteousness by faith, not by our merits of good works, right? But the righteousness which is of God is from faith, right? And that produces good works in us. It produces a different way of living. And we are, as 1 Timothy 6.11 says, it says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You see, throughout the New Testament, we get the picture that there are things we are to flee from and things we are to pursue after. We see it throughout the whole New Testament. There's things you're to flee from and things you are to pursue after. And we see the picture that we need to stand firm, that we need to stand strong in the faith, because it's not easy to fight the fight against the unrighteousness of this world. It's far easier just to go with the flow, the rest of the world. Do what everyone else is doing. That's the easy way. That's the easy way to go. But faith, to walk by faith, it's a fight because you have to say no to the things of the world around you. And you walk in the light rather than in the darkness, right? 
And when we have been changed in our hearts, in other words, we're changed at our very core, we will then understand that we must fight this fight and we must pursue righteousness, godliness. We must pursue faith. We must pursue love, patience, gentleness. We need to go after this, this way of living. And it's what we need to be known for. Just look at those things of that list there in 1 Timothy 6.11. These are things worthy of pursuing, but they don't come without a struggle. And Jesus, though, has paved the way. He has opened the way for these things in our lives. And Jesus himself is the only one that can lead us in this way. But we must first surrender completely to him by faith. Repent, turn from the world, right? And if you really want to know where to go and learn about how to walk in righteousness, the next verse on our list there tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's from the Word of God that we're finding out all this stuff, isn't it? It's from the Word of God where we find instructions in righteousness and how we should be living. And while we're there, we also find doctrine in the Bible that is profitable to us. But we also find reproof, don't we? We find correction. And we may not always like the reproof. We might not always like the correction. Our flesh might not, right? But the Word of God is our source of all of this. And it's the only place that we can go to find all of this. It is the way in which that we will be able to grow in our walks with the Lord. And in our next verse on the list, the Apostle Paul is speaking and he says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So for everyone that loves the Lord, for everyone that lives in such a way that demonstrates that they love the Lord, there is a crown of righteousness laid up for them. It's a reward. It's a reward for having fought the good fight. It's a reward for having finished the race, for staying the course. And again, it was Jesus that paved the way to this in his own blood. Not one person can work their way to heaven. Not one person can be good enough. But once you've come to Christ, again, you then choose to walk in paths of righteousness that he leads us in. So how important is righteousness? It is of utmost importance. And Noah, we saw back in Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, he was called by God to come into the ark because God saw that Noah was righteous before God in his generation. The ark was the way to the salvation for Noah and his family. And his righteous way of living got him onto the ark. But Jesus is the way for you and me. He's the way for all of mankind today. We cannot obtain to righteousness on our own, so Jesus provided the way for us. He now calls mankind to come to him by faith, not by works of righteousness, but by faith alone. And we are to believe it in our heart. We are to confess it in our mouth. Then once we have come to this place, we're then to no longer walk in the way we used to walk. We're now to walk in righteousness. We are now to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, patience, gentleness. 
You become a whole new person in Christ, a completely different person. You become known for your faith, for your love, for your patience, for your gentleness. And by faith, you walk in this way. And this is a challenge for us today as believers in Jesus, isn't it? As we read all of this, these scriptures challenge us. And no one said it would be easy, but the Lord said he'd be with us. He just wants us to surrender all of our lives to him. He just wants us to receive it all by faith, confess it with our mouth. Again, he knows that we are weak, but he said that in, his, in our weakness, his strength will be made perfect. See, I don't want to stand in my own strength. I don't want to stand in my own righteousness because I'll fall so easily. And it won't be long before you'll look at me and see all of my flaws, right? But I'd rather stand in Christ. And I'd rather walk daily by faith in Him, keeping my eyes on Him. Because the Bible says He's the author and the finisher of our faith. It begins with Him, it will end with Him. And it's in Christ alone that we can stand. And we've seen here in the Word today what it is that He desires for us. Righteousness is of utmost importance. He, he bought it with his blood for us. And we can't trample his blood under our feet, as it says in Hebrews. We must desire to live in a way that he desires for us to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your holy word, God. Your Lord, your word that can speak to us in, in, in a way that, that no other can, Lord. No other word can. Your word is a living and active word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. It cuts deep within us. We understand this, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit at work within each one of us. Lord, you're doing a work that, that you have begun. Your word says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So we know, Lord, that we are all under construction we know, Lord, that, that you're working within us, Lord. And we thank you for this time that we've spent in your word this morning. I pray your blessings upon our week. Lord, I pray for those amongst our body that are sick. Pray for Greg, Lord, who's having back problems. Lord, I ask that you would heal his body. I ask that you would touch and heal him, Lord, and give wisdom to the doctors, Lord, and wisdom to Greg to get through this time, Lord, as it's a painful time for him. We ask your healing upon him, Lord. We pray for our friend Cheryl, Lord, who is in Atlanta receiving treatments, Lord, uh, for her cancer. Lord, we just pray your healing touch upon her as well, Lord. Lord, we ask your favor upon these people. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather as believers, that we can lift one another up in prayer, and that we can seek your face. I pray your will to be done in our lives as we move forward through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.